0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. What does motion sound like? With Kizikan's Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks.
1: What's going on guys? Welcome to another episode of Pure Pleasure with Dewey Halbus on Jabberjaw Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most bringing you more great content week after week. And this week, guys, we have a returning guest, one of my favorites. Um, I've done a lot of interviews where people ask me my favorite episode and I always go with Rachel Midori. Um, she is an ex-porn star uh, working in Fine Dining now in New York City. Um, one of the realest conversations I've ever had in my life, um, back in Anaheim, uh, the first time she was on. So, uh, a lot of people had reached out wanting to see where she was at now and have us have another conversation. And so we hooked back up, um, while she was in New York and she is back on this week for a second time. And, uh, guys, it was even more intense and more, uh, real. It was absolutely, um, mind-boggling, like usual, Um, just a fascinating person, you know, Um, she's very young, but been through so much um, and has such a story to tell. Um, There are a lot of triggers on this episode. Um, So if you do have problems with, uh, you know, suicide and depression, um, there's there's a lot of triggers on this episode. Uh, But I think it's gonna be very helpful uh, for people that are struggling, Uh, just like the last episode, hearing someone else going through the same things and, uh, you know, that's why I asked her back is because I, you know, I enjoy as, as intense and real as a conversation was, I enjoyed having that experience and it was just absolutely, you know, incredible. So um, this one is, is not short of that either. It's, it's a really good conversation and uh, I hope you guys enjoy it and, uh, you know, can get something out of it. Um, Rachel's just a fantastic person and, uh, you know, it's cool to meet her through this podcast and, and continue to keep in touch. So uh, big thanks to her for coming on. So uh, this one, I want to get right into it, but I want to get some business out of the way first, guys, like we always do. Um, our new sponsor, Stumptown Mattress, has been absolutely fantastic. Um, the product is amazing. I've been sleeping on it for two weeks now. And it just gets better and better. Uh, back pain, everything is just gone. Um, it's it's a miracle. I mean, I'm serious. It's it's absolutely fantastic. StumptownMattress.com is the website uh, for you guys to check them out. The pricing is absolutely insane. And you know, if you live in the Pacific Northwest, um, you know, delivery super fast. And a lot of times they do it in person. Um, otherwise, it's free shipping throughout the entire lower 48. And, guys, I, I can't recommend them anymore. I mean, they are just fantastic. Michael and the crew over there have been great. Um, they've been very communicative with me um, on what they wanted. And has just been a great partner on the show. So, guys, seriously. You know, you could listen to this episode laying on a brand new Stumptown Mattress. You know what I mean? So absolutely go check them out. StumptownMattress.com. And uh, another sponsor that came back is ArtistFlags.com. ArtistFlags.com is another amazing sponsor. Um, They're making some flags for the studio, which you guys will see on some of the new stuff coming out. Um, And these guys do all the, the backdrops, the scrims, amp cover, everything. So... A lot of the bands you see playing live, when that banner drops behind them, a lot of times that's artistflags.com uh, that's making that. So one of the big selling points for me with these guys is something they don't even advertise, but it's the turnaround time. So I ordered these flags, um, you know, last week. This was Friday of last week. They got the order in, and the the actual uh, flags themselves are made in China, the uh, partner of theirs, and Literally, I got the tracking number this morning. This is Monday and it'll be here tomorrow from China, which I know a lot of guys um, and gals order things from China. It takes weeks. This is literally two days. Absolutely amazing. And that's just one of the things. I mean, the the quality is insane. Um, I mean, they're fast. They know what they're doing. You send them a file. They'll tell you if it's right or wrong, what needs to be changed. So artistflags.com. Cody and the guys over there are absolutely fantastic. Check them out and let them know Dewey from Peer Pleasure sent you. So, uh, guys, without further ado, I want to jump into this one. We, You guys know the socials. You know the website, peerpleasurepodcast.com. Peerpleasurepod at gmail.com is the email. Definitely reach out to me after this episode and let me know what you think. Um, I, I was just floored again with Rachel. Um absolutely fantastic and real and down to earth and you guys are going to get a lot out of this one so without further ado guys let's jump into this episode part two with rachel midori Excellent. So good to hear from you.
0: I know. How have you been? I've How's the holiday? Happy New Year.
1: Oh, same to you. I've been good. Just been uh, working like crazy and doing the show and, and uh, kids and all that stuff. Keeps me pretty busy. Oh, all that fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm stoked to hear what's uh, what's happening with you and uh, kind of continue, continue the journey. That was uh, that last episode was one of my favorites. I have I've been asked a bunch of times what my favorite episode was, and I was like, man, I keep going back to this one because it was it was incredibly uh, deep, but also I mean, just fascinating. And and uh, I don't know, it just seemed like one of the most real conversations I'd ever had on the show, and it was it was uh, cool to see people enjoyed it too. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we got a lot of good feedback from it, so that was good. I'm glad that it's one of your favorites. That makes me happy.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, it's already recording. I just usually start it when I call on the phone interviews anyway. But, uh, yeah, are you all good to go then?
0: Yeah, I'm all set.
1: Okay. Well, Rachel Midori, welcome back to the Peer Pleasure Podcast.
0: Thank you so much. I'm glad to be back.
1: It's awesome. You're in New York this time. Last time we were in uh, Anaheim, California. And uh, you've since moved back.
0: I have. I am back home in beautiful Brooklyn. So that was really exciting. I did a cross-country road trip uh, last spring. My husband and I drove across We took a whole month off to go across the country oh and I got married since you talked to me too yes. so a bunch, of, a bunch of different things <laughs> yeah my year it's new year so my year has been crazy so I took the cross-country road trip came back home to New York got hit by a cab was disabled got married I'm opening a restaurant right now <laughs> everything since spoken to me is very
1: different yeah absolutely well what what prompted the move back to new york we can start there because uh i mean you were you were basically you were working in fine dining in la you were with your fiance in la um and everything was kind of transitioning you were starting sommelier school um i believe you started it there right you were already doing it in la
0: Well, I was studying wine and fine dining in L.A. under my mentor, Um, but the reason I moved is actually because American Sommelier Association, the school that I attended um, and I just finished, that is in Manhattan. So that was the main reason for moving back was so I'd be able to go to that school um, and study
1: there. Okay, perfect, perfect. That makes sense. So that prompted the move. So tell me about this cross-country road trip you said was kind of a— Crazy adventure vacation.
0: Yeah, it was it was great. So I've driven cross country twice before, but I was very young, so I couldn't, I couldn't really remember it. Um, basically, I mean, my fiance at the time and I packed up our tiny studio apartment into our Prius and we just left um, and we started a drive. And I actually logged the entire trip on my blog: um, videos, photos, restaurant, uh, bar reviews, places we stopped. Um, And we drove the southern route. So we went down through Texas, Louisiana, stopped uh, at Vegas on the way. But we made sure to spend at least two or three days in in each city. And we just ate everything, drank everything. Um, It was fun. It was crazy. I've never really spent that much time in the South. so good food people are different it was cool i'm one of those people that doesn't really think anything exists besides anything in la and anything in new york <laughs> <laughs> i'm like all right east coast west coast so like, there's a bunch of stuff in the middle and i don't know anything about it so that was that was pretty cool and it was actually honestly really awesome watching how people and cuisine kind of changed as we moved from state to state as we drove in the middle of nowhere um, and there were some scary, I mean, scary places. We are driving for two hours in the middle of nowhere with no signal, no lights, no nothing. There's a lot of nothing out there. Sure. Um, but it was, it was fun. And when we we're, were coming up the East Coast and we had to actually pull in uh, for the night or two nights because there were some really crazy tornadoes once we hit kind of Tornado Alley which I wasn't used to because I was living in LA for so many years and 60 degrees and sunny was the only thing I knew existed. So we pull over, we're trying to make a straight shot from New Orleans, which was crazy. We ended up there on uh, St. Patty's day. So that was just a crazy animal in itself. Um, so we're driving up, we pull over because we get stuck in some tornadoes and we get back out on the road. We're driving up and that really crazy nor'easter in the spring hit and we're trying to just push through and drive home, but we're in this pre-haze It's snowing. I literally see cars flying off the road, so we have to pull over again for another night and stay in. Um, so it was, it was just you know, crazy adventure trying to get back home as soon as we hit the East Coast. We're like, what is all this weather? What is the snow? What are these tornadoes? You know, put our bodies back in shock, getting back to Brooklyn and freezing but i think i've acclimated now i can walk outside without wearing ted coats so <laughs> we, we made it home and it's nice it's nice because both our families are are close by they're in jersey so it's been really nice kind of reconnecting with them and being closer to them and also jumping into you know my industry at in new york which is you know really different a lot more fast paced and a lot more cutthroat in uh in new york city so that was really fun jumping back into that
1: sure sure well that sounds amazing like and it's it's cool to kind of find yourself on a road trip. I think everyone needs to do it at some point. Take a you know 2-3 weeks and just go, get a car and just go and kind of find out more about yourself. But at the same time, that gave you a lot of time to really kind of uh, I would expect break free from LA life and kind of get out there and kind of reset your reset your clock and everything else before you got home instead of just flying home or you know, taking a straight shot. You had time to kind of uh uh, think about things, I'm sure, and and just kind of get your mind right before you got home.
0: Yeah, it was it was definitely like a reset button. As much as I would love to go on a vacation, you know, in Peru or Tokyo or do something like that, you know, it may have been simple a little road trip, but it was just it was because it took so long. I mean, it was a month of not working and kind of just you know figuring myself out. I mean, I was stuck in a tiny car with no back seat because all all of our belongings were in it with uh, with Zach for a month. So if you yeah. get through that... And not go crazy, and not get into a single fight. You know, <laughs> I think I think that was another, that was another trial for both of us. So that was a good thing to do. You know, if you think you love someone, go go on a trip in a in a tiny in <laughs> a tiny little car for a month and see how see how long that lasts.
1: Man, it's hard enough riding around in a Prius with nothing in it versus an entire tire. Yeah, apartment. I know, no,
0: guys, you know, no, we couldn't throw anything in the trunk. We you couldn't buy anything unless it's in like glove box. It was. You couldn't put your seat back <laughs> and sleep. Oh my god! It oh was,
1: shit! It, it was fun. Crazy. Yeah. Well, now you have stories to tell and and everything else. I mean, that's yeah. It's just like touring. Yeah, right?
0: it, was, it was. Yeah, that's cool. And we had so many stories, and a lot of our friends in LA, and you know, they're like, "What do you, you know, do What are you planning?" And I was like, "Dude, we packed up our apartment, you know, the day our lease ended, and we just just put in New York on our GPS and just left." you know so it was it was fun it was spontaneous and you know I feel like everyone has to kind of do something crazy like that you know it wasn't planned out really well I mean we saved up some money but we just left and you know stopped where we could on the way restaurants that we wanted to or heard of we asked locals where to go eat so uh but it was cool being able to kind of document everything on my blog you know each city we stopped in and all the pictures and everything like that. So sure. I think that was fun A few people followed along. We had like a little interactive map, you know, where we were uh, at each moment, which was cool. Uh, so it was definitely fun and it was kind of a cool experience that I could share with all my fans.
1: Nice. That's awesome. And, and so what is it like for you guys to go? I mean, when you guys, so I'm a musician. So when I listen to a mm-hmm. record, like I pick it, I listen to it differently than most people. And I'll pick it apart, and I'll I'll hear different parts and different. Uh, I mean, everything in my mind, it just shifts to like I'm sitting in a studio and I'm breaking everything into tracks and things like that. When you guys work, because you guys both work in in the fine dining industry now, right? Zach works for he was a uh, working in a restaurant as well, right?
0: Yes, yeah, he's a he's a chef. So and,
1: um, when you guys go to uh-huh. a restaurant. Do you go in with, like, an open mind? Do you go in? I mean, because, granted, probably most places in the country aren't going to be, like, the Michelin-rated restaurants of New York and L.A., but are you guys able – or do you guys try to shut your brain off and just kind of enjoy it, or do you actually go in and it's kind of <laughs> – you can't?
0: I, I – you know what? I Him and I have had this conversation so many times. When I really, really just want to go out and have a nice meal. You know, I and mean, you can't have that, you can't have that expectation that's going to be fine-battening. And I'm not bougie, you know, that's my whole, especially my whole passion about wine and everything. You know, it's a very pretentious industry, and I don't want to judge anyone. I don't want to be this, you know, bougie, ridiculous, impossible-to-please person. You know, you go going to McDonald's, they're getting McDonald's. Yeah. You know, so I don't expect that, but there are... I can't there's no way I can shut it off you know I know every restaurant and like what to expect and, but I am still you know appalled at some things sometimes if I go somewhere and you know things aren't done properly to the to the smallest extent I've worked in casual I've worked my way up from pool in the wall places to really you know fine dining but I can't, I can't shut it off. And him and I will walk into a restaurant or something and something will happen. And immediately, you know, that's what we're going back and forth. I'm going on about service or what happened with the server, or, you know, how they sat us or how they said hello to us, how the service is going immediately as soon as the food hits you know he's going on about the food even if we weren't expecting this great experience and it it we're never the people unless it's really bad that will complain we're never the people that even it's very hard for me to send something back if it's not what i ordered or if it's not what i like mm-hmm. you know i cause i try and i can understand their perspective but you know if you're not doing your job to a hundred percent if you're being mediocre I, I will i will notice it and depending on my mood or how bad you fucked up, I'll say something. But no, I can't, I can't just go somewhere and enjoy meal. And I've, we haven't, and I have talked about it. He's asking himself, have like, can we even enjoy going out to eat? Cause we pick it apart so easily. Cause I'll go out with my family or my mother who is really into food and really into cuisine. And it's like a foodie and a wine. And we'll go out to a dinner and she'll be really, really amazed by it. And, very hard for me to be that excited about it because sure. i just i just pick it apart and i could go out and have a really good meal but you know it do, it rarely shuts off
2: you yeah.
0: know it, it, it's just it's my job it happens all the time if you go anywhere and that's your career and you are good at it and someone is doing it wrong, you're gonna notice right away. Yeah. There's just no bullshitting
1: with it. <laughs> I wanted to ask you that for a while because I was just curious about that. Like, I, because I literally, like, with music, I can't, I can't, I just can't shut it off. Like, I have to just go through it with a fine-tooth comb, and it would just be frustrating. Because, like, you know, music's important, but you have to eat. So, like, you have to constantly. You I mean if you're not eating at home? You have to go somewhere, and you're not gonna be able to shut that off, and then just either be let down, or you know, completely amazed. But I would sure, I would assume it's probably let down more often than amazed.
0: Yeah, you're you're usually let down. I have to I have to work on kind of compartmentalizing that. Because sometimes I'll go to I'll go to a chain to eat or I'll go to somewhere that I know doesn't have good service. I know the servers, you know, aren't passionate in doing this because it's their career. Because usually when people look at serving or restaurants, they don't see it, you know, as a career. Yeah. So I can go into Applebee's, for example, and have a meal. And each time I have a meal, I I'm still pissed off if the food isn't good, even though I know it's microwaved, or if the service isn't good, even though I know that a lot of people don't take pride in that, in that job. Yeah. It's still, it's still to this day surprises me. The only I'm never, I'm just never disappointed by fast food. There's a there's a fast food place right across the street for me called Crown Fried Chicken. That's all it's called. The service is great. And the food is amazing, and it cost me 6 bucks for a burger. But I have had better service as athletes than some of the finest restaurants. So I can enjoy a meal sometimes. But, yeah, if you're not doing it right, I know and <laughs> It's kind of ruined me going out to eat. Not sure. ruined it, but it still works when I go out to eat. It, just, it doesn't go off.
1: Well, at least lifestyle. your husband's a chef. So, I mean, you have that option at home, and then you can pair the wine.
0: I do, I can't, I can bear the wine um, it's difficult though because when he comes home from work the last thing you want to do is cook Sure. we rarely, rarely, I mean we keep food in the house but it's usually kind of just meal prepped healthy meal prep. you know that we make for the whole week so it's you know chicken vegetables fucking thrown into some Tupperware <laughs> just so we, when we're home the amount of time we're home because we're not home a lot because our careers take up so much of our time you know, the last thing he wants to do is come home and cook. Everyone's like, you know, you're married to a chef. This must be so great. And you know, I'm like, it's really not. If I want to go eat at uh, the restaurant he works at, it's great. Yeah. But if either of us are home, the last thing we want to be doing is drinking. The last thing we want to be doing is eating. The first thing we want to be doing is sleeping. Cause yeah. That's what we want to do. We want to sleep <laughs> so we can wake up and go do it. Go do it tomorrow. I see, I mean, I see my restaurant family more than I see my own husband asleep by the time he gets home, uh, I'm waking up and leaving some days before he's up. So our schedules are just crazy, but we make it work. I always have one day off of him, and he has a day off just so I can remember I'm married and remember I have a life. <laughs>
1: yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: It's fun, then. It's And I thought about it for a while. I thought about kind of leaving it. Doing something else, but I wasn't centered on wine. I didn't know if I wanted to go on the more on the etiology perspective and farm and create a mm-hmm. uh, farm and do harvest and all that. I wasn't sure if I wanted to go in the science perspective of studying the biology behind it. So I mean, I'm still kind of finding my way. I do enjoy being in the restaurant and being a sommelier more. I get to interact with people a lot more, which is great. Uh, but I did think about changing it just because I sometimes I would like to have a nine to five. Sometimes I would like to know what it was like to, when you call them day walkers to mm-hmm. see the day and hang out yeah. not sleep until noon because you got to go work until one in the morning. And especially now with helping manage and you know, open this new restaurant, it's just, it's chaotic. I've never opened one before. I'm lucky that I'm working with some really great people that have done it before and are successful restaurant tours but yeah. it's just a lot of it's a lot of work from the ground up and it, it's crazy it's just fun i'm very lucky to be in this position at this age which is great
1: yeah you're doing you're doing a lot of awesome shit and at the same time it seems like everything you put your mind to you just make happen like it's really inspiring because you know we talked about these things before and now they're happening or have happened or are happening you know and and uh it's just cool to see. I mean. So when you got home, um, when you got home to to New York, I want to talk. I saw it on Instagram. I was like, "Oh shit, you got hit by a cab."
0: I know it was a really great welcome home President. Tell Where me this story
1: because this is. I mean, I followed it on Instagram, but tell me the story. How did it happen? And then what? Oh, how you were in recovery forever? Like it seemed like it was just like going on and on and on.
0: Yeah, it was it was a while. I was getting out of I was gone out of school. I was in a real it was crazy because everything was going really right up until you know we got there. We got to New York. We got our apartment. I had started school. We were doing wedding planning at the time since we got married in September, and this happened in June. And it had just been a really great day. I did a menu tasting for my wedding. I went to class and. I headed to the subway. I had a little bit too much to drink, just because I was in class and I went to my wine tasting and my menu tasting. But I was crossing the road, three side, and I just I was on my phone. I didn't look both ways, and the cab hit me, hit me right over my foot, threw me back to the sidewalk. You know, and I'm laying on the ground, and I had a concussion, and I came to, and there's just everyone else on the cell phone taking videos, taking pictures. The people helped me up. Uh, the cops came. I don't really remember much because it was just really, really traumatizing. And uh, I got brought to the hospital, and they had, I had there were tire tracks on my feet, and it had completely, completely broken my foot. And I was disabled. I was in the hospital for a few days, and I was, I was disabled all, all summer um i had to i remember the first day that i could curl my toes it was a crazy feeling i woke up the first day that i was home from the hospital and you know you wake up and you crack your toes in the morning and i'd done that because i was so used to having a foot and i felt the bones move around and it was so excruciating but it was really depressing it was really humbling um uh, i couldn't get down my stairs i couldn't go get food i was completely you know, left to left to my apartment unless someone was there to help me. I remember crawling down the stairs to get to the deli across the street to get something to eat, and I realized I couldn't get back up the stairs on my crutches. So I was pulling myself with my upper body up the stairs, crawling. It was it was really it was just a lot, and you know, not being able to move, not being able to do anything except sit on your couch and watch TV, not being able to work out. Constantly needing someone's help or needing someone to come over and help you—it really made me have a perspective on people who are permanently disabled. Because I'm young, I've always been used to being like, "Get up, get up on my feet, go do something." Yeah. It really, and it did. It put me in a a dark spot for a long time. I got very depressed. It didn't help with my bipolar because I just felt useless and I couldn't see go out. I would sometimes be able to get out to have some sunlight on me or crawl out to my fire escape. But uh, yeah, it put me in a really in a really bad bad place until I was able to finally get a cane and get walking again. So it was definitely definitely a lot of trials and tribulations with that. I wouldn't suggest it. I would never do it again. I never ever want to do that again. Yeah. But it uh it definitely it definitely put me through some hell. But I got through it, which was nice, especially with Kind of falling into that depression, it definitely pushed me even further to go get a therapist and get some help with with what I've been struggling with. Which is good because now I'm on a regular regimen. I really do suggest even normal people that don't have anything wrong with them get someone to talk to. You know, once a day. I have to do it once a week, but get someone to talk to once a month, every two weeks or something. It really pushed me to make sure I have all these things in place to give me help and. Make sure that you know that doesn't happen again, whether I get
1: hit by a car or not. Sure, well, I mean, and how long had it been? Had it, had it been since we had talked last when your depression got really bad? I mean, when after you got hit, had that been happening on and off since we talked last, or had it been a good long stretch, um, since you'd gone to that place again where where you get really where your bipolar just goes out of control? And and uh, I mean. Was that kind of in and out like it like it had been before or was it just like bam all of a sudden back into it?
0: Um, it was it was actually it was pretty good for the trip. Um that was fine. I think I, I was still microdosing at that time. Okay. But I still I still had my episode. Still happen. I think um there was a lot of distraction with a lot of things going on. But mm-hmm. I did. It was still, you know, some manic episodes, some depressive episodes that lasted for different amounts of time. And it was just that accident really just set it over the edge. It made it worse because it was even harder for me to get out of it because I'm stuck in my apartment. I'm alone. You know, my husband still has to work. What What is there for me to do? So yeah. that kind of just made it, it just made it a lot worse. It definitely exasperated it. So that didn't help at all. But the, there are still episodes now. I haven't had one in about two months, which is great. So the therapy is definitely helping. Yeah. I decided to trust my doctor and get some legal drugs and be on the prescription regimen, which I have fought for a very long time and I've always been against. But I promised I would try it out, even though I still stand by the psychedelics and those ancient medicines. I did promise then that I would try the legal way, try something that if I get caught with some not going to jail.
1: Yeah. You promised too your doctor?
0: Yeah, my, my doctor just because it's I mean, it's also very hard to trip every week or once a month and you know, microdosing, you have to stay very on it and there's been a lot of situations where things have just gotten really bad and really dangerous. And I spent some time in a psychiatric hospital over the summer because things were so bad. So. I want
1: to talk about that a little bit too, because I saw you had posted about that too. And I, I hadn't seen that before, but, um, when, when, when did you, when did you go? So when you went to the, the hospital, the, the, the psychiatric hospital, had you quit microdosing and were on prescription meds then, or were you still microdosing then?
0: So I had stopped microdosing, and I was not on medication. So probably it's the worst thing I could have done. Oh there. shit!
1: What happened? Why? I,
0: I think the thing. I think I just got busy. I got distracted. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't taking care of my mental health. I wasn't every single day making sure that's something I need to keep it. And you do. People get distracted, and maybe I thought I could be a normal person. I maybe I thought that it would just go away or, you know, I thought I was, I could have thought I was better that I didn't have to be so strict with the microdosing and you don't realize it for a little while and you don't realize that things are getting bad. This goes for anyone, anyone, you know, that is struggling or seems to have a normal life. Your mental health is key. It's just as important as going to the gym. It's just as important as eating correctly and with all the things I was doing, school, a new job, the wedding, I just, I was ignoring my mental health. I wasn't, I wasn't attending to it. And especially for someone who does have a mental illness like me, that really took a toll. And to the point where I just was so depressed and just drinking to make that better, because that was my job. And that was what I was surrounded by. And it just got to a point where I had to go somewhere and I had to, you know, I just had to have someone help me. Just the depression got way too bad. It was dangerous for me to be alone or by myself. So I was there for a few days, and then uh, and then I came home. And they are the ones who who set me up with a doctor to make sure I'm seeing someone regularly. It was a wake up call. You know that that is not something, especially me, but anyone else. You can't put that on a back burner. You can't let a job make you put that on. a the back burner there's no one my boss no one that can tell me that that's not that's not important
2: yeah. there
0: can't be anything no school no nothing no relationships that that you should you know sacrifice your your own mental health so that was a really hard lesson to learn but now I do take care of myself as much as I can and I won't let myself forget about me because you can't forget about
1: you yeah Absolutely, and you so you checked yourself in. Then you called and checked yourself in, or you had Zach take you in, or what? I called and I and you I called. checked myself in. So what? I, and I'm just curious because I don't. I mean, you see this stuff stigmatized in TV and movies and all that shit. When someone goes to a, a psychiatric hospital, like what they call it, a 5150, the the 72 hour hold or whatever. Um, uh, I don't remember. it's not fun it, what it's what is a... A, what is a day like th- in that place like like what an actual from actually being there for people that're listening that may be afraid to reach out because of what they see in the movies and shit like that I know I know it's not fun, but what is a day in that place like?
0: I mean you're just for me I was there uh, doctors would come in and talk to me and ask me how I was feeling. I get my history and everything like that, but they're just—they're just, they're just but basically because what I did, I was only there for uh, a couple, I think two or two or three days. But they're really just talking to you and trying to figure out what the problem is and figure out keep you somewhere safe, somewhere in this room, and there's nothing you can hurt yourself with in there, and they're just keeping you safe and talking to you. And I called my family in, my parents and and Zach so they could come talk to me um, and basically from there they just try and figure out what the best treatment will be if you know, you can leave if you're safe they'll call doctors find one you can afford find one that your insurance takes they'll set you up with an appointment before they release you but it's not and it sucks because this country is the way it is and you don't have to be afraid to go there. It is always the best case scenario. If I stayed home by myself, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. So it is good to do that, but I'm not going to say that it was fun. I'm not going to say that it was great. And it didn't freak me out walking around, seeing all the people there in different stages of different illnesses. Mm No, it wasn't, it wasn't fun. If I was a celebrity or if I had the money, maybe I could have gone somewhere super nice, but, was like a little vacation but no it's it's not fun and it's definitely i, I think due to the health care in this country we I mean if, even if you go to a hospital right Where hospital it's not fun nothing's great everything's slow you have to pay thousands of dollars to be there i'm still paying off medical bills for being there but I'm, if you're afraid to go you should be if you really are at the point where you're considering going somewhere to get help Mm -hmm. you should be more afraid of being alone you should be more afraid of trying to white knuckle it and get through it and it was it was embarrassing having to call my family to tell my little sisters what had to happen but yeah i got over that a long a long time ago i'm not i'm not embarrassed about talking about it anymore even with my boss and people at work I don't care you want to ask me where it was I'll tell you yeah. where I was and i'll I'll tell you without flinching because it's like I've said a million times over I went to the hospital and got my broken foot fixed everyone knew about it no one judged me I had to go to the hospital because I had a really bad breakdown a mental breakdown mm-hmm. I don't' it's not I'm not afraid of that you know no one should feel weird about it
1: yeah I agree, I agree. but it is stigmatized and that's why you know I, I asked because I've not I've not been there myself and I've had you know friends that have gone um, in and the ones that uh, the ones that I could have asked uh, eventually uh, killed themselves and I wasn't able to have that conversation at any point. Um, and then the other the other one that went, just bailed out and just started traveling the country homeless and is still out there somewhere. So I never you know, I never got to ask, you know, from someone who's actually been there to kind of destigmatize it a bit and and, you know, that's and that's why I asked. Um and I appreciate that because, you know, it's i I'm absolutely sure it was not fun and probably, you know, uh being under a microscope like that too it seems like it would create some anxiety where everyone just constantly asking you how you're doing and and you know being in that environment where there's not a lot of outside stimulates, just all people talking to you like focusing on you when you know like you said you should be afraid to be alone at that point if you're at the point of needing help um What's going on, guys? This is Dewey. I want to tell you about some new releases coming up from Equal Vision Records. As you guys know, Equal Vision Records is my family, and so are these bands. I really want you to check these out. We've got Hot Water Music with their 10th studio album, Vows, out May 10th, featuring guest appearances by Dallas Green of City & Color, Thrice, The Interrupters, and Brendan and Daniel from Turnstile. See them on their 30th anniversary tour with Quicksand in the States in May and June. Go there for vinyl and merch from all of your favorite bands. Check out Water Music's new record and b new 7-inch now. now slash PPP for 30% off. Um, So being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me. And having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. Yeah, it
0: was really frustrating. I'm grateful uh, that I went and they set me up. With my doctor, and it is always—it was especially crazy talking to the doctors there, but also to the therapist. And now, now I've been seeing her for a while, so she's getting to know me a lot better. and My psychiatrist mm. is getting to know me a lot better, but it's always been really crazy talking to doctors because I've been dealing with this since I was twelve. So it's
2: been—I yeah.
0: mean, it's been—it's been 13 years of episodes and 13 years of multiple suicide attempts and somehow you know I'm still here and I've survived them. so it's always weird being under that microscope because they ask me my history and they don't know if this is something that just started happening in a year but when I talk to them about when it started and how long it's been and that I've been dealing with this without saying help professionally for my own reasons for my fear of doctors and the way they do treat people and the money that it costs to get help but being under that microscope whether it be under my psychiatrist my therapist or in uh, in the ward it's always funny to me it's fucked up but it's funny because when they ask me my history and I explain it to them they're like what the fuck have you been doing for 13 years and I remember when I first sat down with my psychiatrist, and he's so confused just because I went through so many things. with Drug addiction at a young age, which is really common with people with bipolar. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there talking to him, and he kind of asked, have I ever tried to kill myself? And I was like, yeah. You know, the first time was when I was 13 or 14 years old. He's like, the first time. And I kind of explained it that it's it's always happened. It's always been, you know, every few years it gets so bad, and it's another it's usually another method, but it's another suicide attempt. And he's just, he puts his pen down and he's just looking at me. And the same reaction from every doctor I tell. And he's like, you've never gotten help. I was like, no, I've never gotten help. He's like, why haven't you gotten help 13 years? You know, the fact that I'm even talking to you is really amazing because you should be, you, know, you shouldn't be here right now. Yeah. And it's, and you, you, and it's weird because when I'm saying it out loud, of the things I've been through and the things that I felt and especially the amount of times I've come very close to dying at my own hand and the things I've put my family through by almost doing that and just being another Facebook post or being another Twitter post and yeah. a bunch of people saying that they were my friends and they couldn't believe this happened. It was just, it's just the same thing. It's another, it would have been another suicide story and, my story would have been over and people would have talked about it for a few months and then forgotten about it. So whenever I am under that microscope, doctors have always been confused and I never, I never had an answer for them. The times when I was growing up and I was young and I was hurting myself and having these episodes, no one really knew what it was. Mm -hmm. So I don't blame my parents. They blame themselves, but I don't really blame them, because even even when I was hurting myself, a lot of people, especially back then, just think that's a phase, and think every kid does that, Mm -hmm. and when it was happening when I was older, I just thought it was stress, or it was pressure, even when I kind of found out it was bipolar, I thought I could avoid it, so it's always been really amazing sitting down with these doctors, and them being really... Sounded that I'm even, even sitting in front of them, so that's just another reminder that you need to go when you think it's bad. Yeah, You man. need you need, to, you need to get help because I'm a very I'm a very special case, in the fact that I'm still here and over the past few years of struggling with this, I have lost a lot a lot of people that I know or a lot of people that I was familiar with to suicide, and it's just so rampant. And I am really, sometimes I feel really guilty because I'm still here and they're not. And I shouldn't be. So I feel like, I think that's why, going back to how you say that I do a lot of things and I accomplish them, or when I say I'm going to do something, I'm good at it and I'm successful at it. I think a little bit of it is because I'm on borrowed time. I've been on borrowed time since, since I was 14, since the first time that I almost took all my time away, yeah, you know, so I have to be successful and I have to, I have to do things that make me happy and I have to love people a lot Mm -hmm. and I have to, I have to have a good life because as far as I'm concerned, it should have been gone 10 years ago. Man.
1: I remember. I remember you telling me about that and the the time Zach was with you and basically saved your life. Basically, and and uh, I mean that, that was intense. Like uh, being that close to something like that, and I mean just the the yeah. I mean that's an interesting way to look at it. That you're on borrowed time, you know, and and that that motivator to you know accomplish what you can while you're here. Um, I was thinking. When you said that you had lost some people, did you know August Ames?
0: Yeah, I did. You um,
1: did.
0: Yeah, I was curious I after her. that
1: happened. I was going to text you, but I was like, no. Um, but i yeah.
0: I'm not gonna. I'm not. So I'm not like I said. Like if I, you know, was gone, there'd be a lot of people like this. I'm not gonna say I was really close to her, and I was good friends, but I did know her. And any time I hadn't been with her, worked with her, met her on set or at an event, she was always, she was just, there was a lot of people in that industry that whatever, behave hey, a certain way, that industry will bring it. It's, a, it's an interesting industry that won't speak ill on it because I've done nothing but love my time in it. Yeah. And I'm proud of what I, am very proud of what I did and what I put out. But she was not like a lot of the people in that industry,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I, I, I think that's what hurts me the most. I know no one deserves it, but there are a lot of, a lot of people that don't deserve it more. Mm-hmm. And uh, from what I can see, in her, and just the way she treated others, she was she was she was one of those people.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, I've just seen so many, so many. Oh, mental health at this point in time is is a, a hot topic and and something that's, you know, it's been around forever as far as whether people want to acknowledge it or not and it just seems to be on the forefront now where you know, a lot of people are coming forward and admitting I mean I, that's the wrong word, but coming forward and and talking about it um versus shoving it under the rug and that's one thing that from our last conversation that really inspired me to this day is is just how open you are with, with your situation and, and I just love seeing all the awesome things you're doing and uh, you know that was a big reason I wanted to have you back on the show is just to like catch up see what you're doing now and, and uh, you know you've always just been super honest and super you're just a super special person and, and uh, you know I appreciate all that and, and I want to talk about um, you know, as far as we're going to what you're doing now, um, opening this restaurant, I want I want to I'd shift gears a little bit because you know I I I wanted to ask you about the hospital, but you're opening a restaurant. Are you opening it with Zach? Is it is it uh, you and Zach together?
0: No, so it's a it's that it's a sister restaurant of the restaurant that Zach works at right now. Okay. So, uh, the chef and owner, and then the other, the owner, his partner, are opening a finer dining restaurant. Mm-hmm. They have one in Brooklyn. They have a. They have a. They have one in Brooklyn. They have a small kind of casual counter serve place in Manhattan. That's all Peruvian. The same one that Zach works. That's all Peruvian. So now we're we're going for a fine dining place. We actually wanna we want to aim for a Michelin star. So this is going to be a cuisine called Nikkei, which is a Japanese and Peruvian fusion. And there's, I believe, only one other restaurant in all five boroughs that does that, but they don't do it the way that that we're doing it. So it's going to be an extremely brand new concept for this entire city, which is great. We're kind of doing something no one out here has done before. So it's going to be Japanese, Peruvian, our wine, uh, list that we're working on and curating it's all going to be coastal wines so you think about japan it's, it's coastal you think about peru we want to do these beautiful really mineral fresh saline tasting just coastal wines it's going to go with this really great kind of fish-based peruvian japanese fusion which is going to be really really great so i'm on the management team i'll be in charge of being the service manager, making sure everything on the floor and all my staff is straight properly. And everything is a tight ship on top of being the, the sommelier on the floor as well.
1: Man, that's fascinating. So, like, what 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 all goes into that as far as, I mean, prepping for something of that magnitude, especially in New York?
0: It's insane. I mean, the space is still under construction and we're we're going to be opening at the end of the month. So the space is still under construction. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be tight. You're figuring out the wine list, obviously. You're doing menu tastings to get the food down, wine pairings with that menu to make sure all the wine is down, ordering the wine, setting up the cellar. This is mine and my, mine and my AGMs standpoint it's not the cocktail program and the two women who are ahead of that and it's great because um so the chef and the the owner those are those are both men but my whole management team we're all women which is great and it's not being sexist saying that i'm glad we're all a bunch of women but it's really really empowering all these meetings we're having and all this work we're doing and all the training it's led by four really strong women which is great on the cocktail perspective the head they're the agm isn't me so it's 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 all great. It's a running joke of the day that because I see these people more than anything. But it's a running joke. The day we all we all get our periods, the whole restaurant is gonna <laughs> is gonna get a. We're all gonna sync up, and everyone's gonna get their ass kicked once a month. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's gonna it's oh gonna be God. great. There's
0: just gonna be there's gonna be one week out of the month where everyone is gonna get it's gonna have a really really hard week. But no, it's really it's really oh inspiring. God it's really inspiring working with working with this team of just just really talented and, and really strong women and we are we're running it great men are great and they're amazing and I love to have sex with them but there's just something about having an all- women team and we're just on it constantly which yeah. is great. <laughs>
1: It's gonna have, you're gonna have to have locks on the doors for the chef and well, yeah, like yeah, we're gonna. Manager.
0: It's gonna, it's gonna be, it's gonna be funny. I can't, I can't wait for this. It's already happening. It's already. I can already see it happening. We will get together. We'll, we'll have our weeks, but it'll be, it'll be funny. No one's, no one's gonna be able to go to anyone. No one's gonna be able to slip up that week. Yeah, uh, we're not gonna. None of us in the house are gonna be having it. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. Have you seen that movie, The and Salmon? No, I haven't. Have you seen, like, Super Troopers and those those movies? No, what are they about? Oh, my God. Okay, so it's this comedy troupe that does – they do, like – there's a movie called Beer Fest and Super Troopers and then The and Salmon. And The Slammin' Salmon is about a restaurant owned by an ex-boxer, like a champion boxer, uh, who's the big dude from Green Mile um Mm -hmm. and he's they just call him champ and uh the the and salmon is his is his nickname or whatever anyway it's all these it's hilarious restaurant stuff like they have to basically make this certain amount of sales one night in one night to make up for whatever's going on and just the fucking shit that goes on in this movie is absolutely hilarious and i think you would love it from a restaurant perspective um but yeah it's just this this huge comedy comedy troupe that makes these movies and they're all always in all the movies with different characters and shit. But anyways, the slam and salmon you should check it out. You and you and Zach would probably laugh your asses off. Yeah.
0: But, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to watch that now. Obviously. It's a lot it's a honestly I, sometimes when I have really hard nights I just wonder why I do this to myself because <laughs> some nights I just go home and I want to cry some nights I just want to scream some nights I don't understand how some people wake up and get dressed in the morning with the way they behave in establishments there's so there's so many parts i stuff especially because I've never been in a management role and I've never been in this role where I am in charge of my staff and I do need to be a role model for these people. Like we need to make sure that everyone has a good time and we're all giving the best service and making something really special that we're putting here. We're growing this new child out and we're putting it in the best city in the world. We want it to be great, but I've never been in this position of responsibility. So it's going to be even harder, but I'm going to have to keep, keep my shit together even more so yeah you, know, you, can be, you can be a server and kind of have your you know have your breakdowns and realize that this job is not for everyone and it's that's why a lot of people don't do it for a career i remember when i first started serving i was like why the fuck am i doing this you just you do you get you get treated a certain way or things happen or the hours are crazy you never see your friends you never have a day off you are up till two in the morning you get home at four it's just why would anyone ever do this but there's always there's a saying that if you work in restaurants you are either crazy or you love it and usually only crazy people love it because it's <laughs> not it's not a normal fucking job yeah. but i do i realized especially when i was off or out of work for so long during vacation out of work when I was disabled and finally able to get back into it. And I did, I had a, I had a different job right after I had been disabled because I couldn't go back into restaurants right away. And it was a normal just daytime job. I was out by maybe 10 at the latest. And after working that, I realized that it's just, it's not my thing. Yeah, It's just not, it's not my thing. I don't know if it's because I've done it for so long or I think it's really just because I love it. And I've found that that's, where I'm supposed to be and where I can really make
1: an impact. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's uh, some people were just not meant to to you know do certain things, but some people, you know, in your situation, like like you said, you love this. This is what you want to do. I mean, and the the cool thing about it is, I mean, dealing with it with your your bipolar and everything else, putting up with this stress and and everything else. I mean, it could it could potentially be beneficial, I would think, just from having to, I have to get this done, I have to do this, I have to do this. Maybe, it'll, maybe it would help, you know what I mean? Like a healthy stress, I guess, where it's not necessarily like dragging you down, but, you know, able to lift you up a little bit from yeah, seeing what you've def- accomplished, you know?
0: It's definitely both. It's definitely a stressor, and I have to be very careful, but it's also it's also definitely keeps me focused and keeps me on my toes and i was very especially when i got brought on to this team i was very upfront with my with my agm about my bipolar we went out for a couple of business lunches and i spoke to her i let her know right off the bat you know that this is a part of my life and i will be 100 percent honest with her i will always be open with her about what's going on with me and she appreciated the honesty but of course as a businesswoman, she flat out came out she's like will this affect your job and will this affect your performance because I need to know and I let her know that I do everything I can in my power to be healthy and keep everything on the right track and I love my job and my team enough to where I will not let it affect my work but I let her know that if we're going to start out this business relationship together it needs to start out with honesty and I'm not going to make the mistake of my other jobs and hide it and take six days and not let them know why I'm taking them or not let them know what's going on. If you know something's going on or something happens at work, they need to know that I will come to them and I will be honest about it. And I that's why I do talk about it and I do encourage other people and if their bosses don't understand or if they don't take it seriously, if they don't either you know, give them the chance to work on it or let them be open about it. You should not be working for that person. And that's just more encouragement that people need to understand who they're working for and understand. Or if they're a boss, understand someone coming to them and being open about it. That this is this is how this move start, this movement starts. This is how it starts becoming normal. and People start talking about it. I don't sit there and say I want bipolar. You know, this is an excuse for me to work less. Yeah. I just start out the conversation with that because the last thing we need to do is find out that I struggle with this five years into a business relationship, and I've possibly, you know, caused some kind of harm to myself or or to my job performance. Mm-hmm. So it was it was scary to start that off right off the bat. And it's always. I've gotten very used to saying it, you know, saying I'm bipolar, saying I have a mental illness. It doesn't—I can say those words now to people, but it was very important to me to start off this endeavor and make sure I don't, I don't go around telling you. When I was i don't want my staff to know. I don't want you know the whole world to know. But the person I work with the closest and the person I answer to, she she deserves to know. And I think it's important that that everybody understands that. That if they're out there struggling with this, you know,
1: it's just talk about it.
0: It's all right. You
1: get fired for it, one, it's illegal, and two, fuck that person. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's 100% true. And, I mean, man, you're doing so much cool shit. It's awesome. And, uh, I mean, opening a restaurant in New York alone just seems terrifying just because there's so much already there. There's so much uh, good and bad. And, you know, just the clientele is going to be interesting. And, and, uh, man, I mean, one other thing I wanted to touch on, too, um, while I had you going through therapy like you are now, you're on a prescription regimen versus, uh, microdosing. So you're on a legal, uh, regimen that you've, it seems like you've gotten figured out, uh, over the the months trying to find the right thing. Um, with the therapy, are you finding out, are you learning more about yourself or are you just learning how to deal with what you already know? Does that make sense?
0: I think I think it's a I think it's a little bit of both. I'm figuring out a lot about myself. It's very I think it's weird because you have to you have to be very honest with this with this person. It doesn't work if you go in there, and that's what, I, what happened the first few weeks. You know, if you go in there and you try and say certain things to be viewed a certain way, or say things you don't want to be judged, or mm-hmm. you always uh, for some reason I think it's just a human it's a human reflex to try and put out your best face to everyone yeah and that's not how you get help so you know once she started to get to know me more once i wasn't afraid to come with her come to her with bad things about me or things that are happening or things i couldn't handle or things that did wrong i am starting to learn things about myself i'm starting to learn a lot about how my childhood has affected me about how i was raised affects who i am as an adult so I am getting help with things I already know about me and my personality, but I am figuring out I'm figuring out a lot, a lot about myself. And it was and it was hard because I really I never I never wanted to be on medication. I still I take it, but I still is not my first choice. I don't like the idea of it. I know it helps a lot of people. It seems it has helped me um, the past few months. But it's also another kind of double-edged sword is because I'm an artist and I'm a writer and I've been, you know, this painful, struggling artist, this poet, and this writer since since I could write. But I've always written my best things in the throes of an episode. I've always created my best art when I'm really manic, one end of the spectrum, or really depressed because it's just been this emotion And I've lived with these crazy emotions. It's never been normal for me. It's never been, oh, I'm happy. It's always been, I'm fucking crazy. I'm manic. It's dangerous. It's never been, oh, I'm a little sad. It's always been depression. So my idea, my idea of emotions are incorrect. My ideas of what a normal day to day life and what feeling things is, is not what a normal person feels. And I've been dealing with that for so long. That's been my reality. That's been normal. And, my fear and what I do see happening a little bit is now that I'm getting used to these meds is I do feel like a normal person. I'm assuming this is what a normal person feels like. And I talked to my psychiatrist about it. He's like, yeah, this is, this is what a normal person feels like when that chemical imbalance is kept normal. Mm-hmm. But, and I should be happy for that because my husband is living a better life and I'm living a better life and I can focus on things more, but they're, I've had these personalities in my head, this different Rachel that's very crazy and manic, and this different Rachel that's very angry, and this Rachel that's depressed. I've had all these personalities, and I've got to know them so well, and I've lived with them forever, and it's crazy, but I know them, and they're all gone now, mostly, you know, so I don't know if I've lost a part of myself. I don't know if I've... I was talking to my sister. I was like, I would rather be you know, this struggling artist who killed herself that be a normal person and not, and not feel artistic anymore. So I don't know if it's just because this is also new. I don't know if it's just getting used to the medication, but if I do lose those personalities and those mood swings and those things that I've known for so long, you know, I am afraid that I feel like I've lost a part of myself. It's great. It might be normal, but it's always been a struggle for me. And, for that to kind of start to dissipate. It's weird, because even when I am happy, I'm not sure if it's happiness, because I'm so used to You're it being exacerbated. Yeah, yeah I'm questioning. Mm-hmm. It's like, if I wake up and I have a good day, and I'm like, am I having a good day? You know, it doesn't feel euphoric. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel crazy, you know? Yeah. Or if I get if I get a little angry, I'm like, am I angry? Because I know what it's like to be rageful. So it's it's very it's different. I can get a little sad, but I'm confused because I'm not I'm not depressed on the verge of a suicide attempt. It's,
2: yeah,
0: I, and I I don't I want to give it a chance, and I don't want to I don't want to feel like I'm losing a part of myself. But that was that is a thing that a lot of people I know talk about. It my my dad's on antidepressants, and one of my sisters is as well. So that is a part that. Mm-hmm that they talk about they don't that doesn't make me feel like a zombie but i do think that that's where that kind of description of people who are bipolar mentally ill on medication they always say it makes them feel like a zombie and i'm sure there are some meds that do kind of just flatten you out totally but yeah i think what that is is we are so used to extremes that feeling normal feels like nothing so it is it is scary i do i do hope i I'm still the person I was before. But I I lost it. That's what my sister had told me a quote is everybody would really love to have a Van Gogh painting in their apartment, but they would never want to have Van Gogh himself in their apartment mm-hmm. because artists are crazy. We have gotten some of the best art from madness. Yeah. Just because that's a it's an outlet. It's a beautiful way that hurting people or mad people can create is just astounding art and these beautiful things and these things that touch other people to a really deep extent because they're coming out of this very raw deepest kind of part of humanity and our craziness so it is it's i have to make a choice it's safer to go this route but i have to find out you know would i rather end up in the hospital again but still feel the way I have felt my whole life or do I want to go down this road of being you know a whole person kind of getting this help so that still is a struggle I'm never going to say oh I'm on meds everything's perfect I feel great and I'm happy I wake up and me and my husband's relationship is so much better because it's not crazy all the time he doesn't wake up not knowing who I'm gonna be am I gonna Scare him that day, or am I going to be okay? Yeah. But it is, I'd be lying if I said that it wasn't a little scary and it wasn't a little, it's just uncharted territory.
1: Sure. I remember you talking about, um, you know, some days you could wake up next to him and feel nothing for him at all or be completely in love. And that hit me pretty hard. Like, that's that's some deep shit there where you could, you know, disassociate Mm -hmm. that way with someone. But what I was going to ask you is, do you? I mean, those personalities inherently were you. Pieces of pieces of you, just heightened and extreme, right? Like we basically like, you know, yeah, I'm angry, but then there was completely angry Rachel, or I'm sad, and then there's completely sad. Isn't it? Don't you think maybe you could find, or at least maybe over time find pieces from those personalities that would. Uh, Stop you from missing having the extremes. I
0: don't know because I mean some of them, some of them were so extreme that it was almost like I was a completely different person. Mm -hmm. And I think I also think that that it started to fracture so much. It just becomes so different to the point where it did seem like I was different people because I went so long without getting treatment. Okay. So with all those years, I think it just got worse and they became very very different you I mean if you talked to me when I was manic or if you talked to me when I was depressed you talked to me when I was angry it was like I was a completely different person there's certain things that I don't even remember because I think my brain had completely shattered everything and to deal with it because my brain couldn't deal with me waking up one day and not caring about my husband or me waking up one day and being really just crazy happy, or you know, being weird, or behaving a certain way, or being promiscuous for no reason, because that's mm-hmm. just one of the one of the signs of having this manic episode, you know. So I can, I can, I think it's I can remember those things. I can remember sometimes the way I've acted and the way I felt. And I can try and use that in my artistic ability, but there will never be anything like. The things I've written when I'm in that episode.
1: What happens so, when you I, read back that writing that you wrote in those episodes? Really, Does it take I, you back.
0: It's fucking insane. I actually, uh, I have this, this one notebook that I, I write down all my poetry in. If I'm, I get stream of consci- consciousness. So I'll write in there poetry and the. Uh, I was reading back on it because I haven't. I've been pretty normal. I haven't had an episode, and it's scary to be honest, because I wanna, I wanna write this book and put together this book that. At first, I wanted to write a kind of a memoir or biography, but I'm not. A lot of my writing isn't. It's not normal like that. It's not fluid. It doesn't. It's very chaotic because yeah. that's what most of my life has been. It's been mostly poetry because I can convey emotions better that way. But it's been very chaotic, so. I'm going through this book because I'm or this notebook of all my writings because I'm trying to figure out how to how to put it together, and it scares the shit out of me because I read I read this this one poem I had written when I was really manic, and the flow and the cadence it's all very different. And I flip through another one and I read one where I was I was very very depressed and. The, the words everything is so different it's kind of like reading a different author which is scary it's just it's weird I'm like how did I write this one thing on this one end of the spectrum and how did I write this other thing so I mean even putting this book together it, it's all written by one person but when you do read it mm-hmm. it's going it's going to read like four different authors wrote it so going through and Kind of seeing that is—it's really freaky. Yeah, it's just—it's—it's it's just really. it is that's just—I don't Just because sometimes I get goosebumps when I read it because it's just really, really freaky. Some of my some of my writings, especially when I was really mentally just on this really dark edge or this kind of this breaking point of consciousness, where I actually wrote. I wrote a lot of things in a very childlike perspective because okay. I think, I think my consciousness was so overloaded with all these things that were happening is a lot of my art that I put out, a lot of my writings I did were from a childlike perspective because my brain, the last time it remembers being normal is when I was 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. So when I write a lot of things, a lot of really childish words or fantasies or the way I I speak or I write a lot of it is from a kid's perspective. And I think what that is, is my brain remembering going back to the last to the first time that it could remember being normal. And then you read a lot of really fucked up, depressed or angry things. And then you read a lot of really kind of one doesn't make sense, you know, manic things. So it's, it's it's creepy it's just yeah it's the only way i can describe it it's just real creepy to read and i want people to read it and i want to make a book out of it and yes it's so creepy please because i don't i don't know how to put it together but yeah it's just and it's hard for me to think of now because i can't i can remember how i felt but there's nothing like feeling it in the moment but sure. i when i was speaking to my sister about it how i'm going to deal with this and how I'm going to use this and still be a writer and still make art, and write my blog, do all well, this. She says, you know, this is just going to have to be another part of your journey because the person I am now is very different than who has written those things. Yeah. So it's just basically going to be another, it's just to be another perspective and I'm going to have to, I'm going to have
1: to go with it. Did. I don't... Well this makes me think back when cuz you're talking about in these in these in these episodes um the the desire to write and and write this poetry and write these feelings and things like that when you when you were in your darkest spots when you when you went and you were you know trying to kill yourself did you leave a note every time that you would write and write and write like this or did you leave nothing
0: No I I left, I left nothing. I think that was the, I've never understood that. I don't know if it's because, I don't know if it's because I never really tried to kill myself for a reason. You know, I didn't feel like I had to say, I I didn't ever feel like I had to say anything. It was always a very... It was just always a very mechanical thing. It was never, I'm going to kill myself. I need to say goodbye to everyone. It was just Mm -hmm. always, my brain shut off. It was just what I had to do. It was, there's no logic.
2: Okay.
0: So I don't, maybe, I think maybe when I was younger, I might have written a little something because that's just, I was young. I didn't, that's apparently what you did when you killed yourself since you wrote someone something. Yeah. There was, uh, there was, I can't even... I don't remember why the episode got so bad, but there was one time, it was over the summer, I think, and I was writing, and I don't know... I don't know why I wrote it or why I posted it, but I posted... I posted this blog, and I don't know if it was a suicide note, but if you do read it, it sounds like it. Uh, and it, it was called Until I Find Peace, and it was just... I was just in this the darkest... I had been in a long time and I was very it came very close to that being the last thing I ever I ever put online and a lot of people talk shit you know you post a tweet and, and you take your life you're stupid or you know you you do anything on social media and take your life you're looking for for attention and I don't think that's ever what it was it was just I felt like I had to say something and it's just, I don't know if it was more of an outlet. So I was feeling all these things, and the only way I could get it out, just like musicians, you know, you're feeling all these things. Sometimes the only way you can get it out is to make music. And for for me, the only way I can make sense or function with these feelings is to write, but that was probably the only time. And I left it up. I, I kind of I struggled with leaving it up if I wanted it on my website or not because it was so dark and it was so it could have been the last the last words I ever wrote or that anyone ever read Fuck. so yeah so I and I thought you know I don't I don't know if I want to keep this up there I don't know if people should read it but I kept it because it's still a part of my journey and yeah I, I'm still here and had I not been here after I wrote that I would have been glad that I put something out there but I never yeah I mean besides that time I never I just never thought to leave it. No. It was just always it was just always a very matter of fact thing.
1: Mechanical. Was, like uh, you said. Yeah.
0: It yeah. was always just very very mechanical. And I just I have to do this. I'm gonna do this. This is you know, this there's a voice in my head telling me to do it. I have to. This is the only way the pain is gonna stop. I have to do it. And like I said, those were the times when I all last resort I have to call and I have more, maybe I know more people that are there to help me know what I'm going through or like it happened this summer last case scenario there's no one around there's no one I, you know, or no one I could go to you know husband's at work I can't mm-hmm. call anyone it's late you know I have to I had to go somewhere yeah. it's, just, it's just and then I get tired of it and it gets exhausting you needing help from people but they need help. Yeah. And I'm so fucking done with anybody thinking that it's laziness or anybody thinking, you know, Oh, I didn't, you know, I've, I've been through things I'm older than you are millennials are lazy because they're constantly talking about <laughs> their mental health or they're talking about how things are hard or they're talking about their feelings all the time. You know, and anyone says that says that it's fucking I- ignorant. It's yeah. just absolutely, it has nothing to do with my age. It has nothing to do with being a millennial the reason all these people have so many fucked up problems is because this has been hidden for so long. You know, you can say you're hardened, and you can say you're a badass, and you went to this and that and you never had to be a therapist or you never had to have a safe space and you never had to, you know, talk about certain things that make you feel a certain way or things that affect you. You know, there's a line for everything, you know? Yeah. yeah, You need to have your shit together and be responsible for yourself. And you do need to, Sometimes be a hard ass, but you need help, and people need help, and it's not—it's not okay to tell people they don't because everyone goes through life, and I would like someone to show me one person who's gotten by really well and in a mentally healthy way who hasn't gotten help.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I agree hundred percent, and it's—I mean, oh my god, I—it's just. It's always so intense talking to you because it, you're very real and I, I just appreciate it so much. And I, I, I know I said it last time and, and continue to say it, but I mean, just it's inspiring talking to you and, and hearing your story and hearing, you know, what you're feeling and just how open you are. And I, you know, last time so many emails came in with people, you know, with feedback from the last episode and, you know, I, I just truly appreciate that. And I know my listenership does as well. And, uh, I mean, I, I just wish you all the luck in the world with the restaurant and everything else and, and figuring out which way you want to go with your medications and, and with your art and your blog and your, your everything. I mean, it's just, uh, it's inspiring to watch. And I don't, I don't want to keep you up any later. I've, I've, I know it's, I've, I'm in Oregon, so I'm three hours behind you. So it's not bad for me, but, um, I don't want to keep you up much later, but I just wanted to say thanks again for, for coming on and, and, uh, and giving your story and, and continuing the story that we left last time. So no,
0: I'm so, I'm so, I'm so glad that, that you wanted to talk again. I did. I got, I actually, I, I love your listeners and, I got some emails too, and I'm a hundred, I'm a good, to all of them, so I wanted to apologize to everyone for that. But I do read them, and I do love and appreciate, you know, anything I hear from you or anything I hear from them because I do think it's really important. You know, obviously, you know how I feel about being public about this and talking about it, but it's very important for people to reach out to other people, whether that be, you know, me or you or anyone. Um, I know it sucks because I'm so busy and I can't give the, you know, time to every email I get, but I do read them and I do appreciate them and I do encourage just people to keep talking about it and keep looking for help, whether that means continuing with psychedelics, research and psychedelics, or, you know, if you want to go in the, in the way of, meds i just whatever you think is going to be safest and as long as you're getting help from professionals and as long as you're being open and being real that's that's the most important thing it's just it's just being real it's finding out what's authentic for you not being afraid to talk about it being proud of it including the bad stuff including the flaws you know you can ask me if i think i'm perfect i don't and i think that's what makes me perfect is that i'm not perfect and everyone needs to realize that and that it goes for everyone in their life everybody you love don't expect them to be perfect my husband perfect no he's fucked up in some ways but i love i love all of it you have to love the flaws if i didn't love the flaws of myself i wouldn't be successful i wouldn't be here and i wouldn't be authentic you know to be authentic you have to you have to accept the bad things too and I think that's that's one of the most important things I could I could say to anyone is it's okay that you're that you're messed up but realize it you know and try and be your best self but when you do fall down and when something does come up that makes you remember that you're broken it's it's okay like I said the last time it's okay it's okay to be broken you just have to be okay with it that's what makes you a stronger person pretending to have your shit together is fake i don't like people like that i don't like people that always act like they have their shit together it's not it's just not my thing and it's not cool and it's not making you strong it's just making you it's making you like everyone else
1: i agree i agree and very well said and and uh man i appreciate it a lot rachel All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Rachel Midori. The second time she's been on the show, even more incredible than the first time. I hope you guys got something great out of it. Email me. Let me know what you thought. Um, You know, uh, hopefully this will help people in their fight with depression and, uh, you know, coming out of it and making something great like she's done. You know, they're opening a restaurant. It's, It's blowing up for her. It's awesome. I'm so glad. Even with, you know, the backsliding every once in a while. She comes back stronger every time, and it's really inspiring. So big thanks to Rachel, and shout-out to her for coming back on the show uh, as one of our favorite guests. And uh, hopefully all you people that email me asked me to get her back on the show were able to hear this episode and get something out of it. And uh, so, yeah, a really big props to Rachel. Thank you for coming on. Uh, guys, check out our sponsors, StumptownMattress.com, ArtistFlags.com, Rockabilia.com, a whole bunch of websites there for you guys to check out. But like I said in the intro, you know, Stump Down Mattress has been fantastic with us. Artist Flags, one of the quickest turnaround times I've ever seen on a great product. And Rockabilia.com has been supporting the show for a long time. Big thanks to them. Sorry my voice is a little scratchy. I'm still getting over the flu, but uh, wanted to get this episode out for you guys. So uh, I'm gonna cut it short here and keep healing up. So guys, thank you so much for coming back week after week. Really appreciate it. We've got some really cool stuff coming up. And as always, we'll see you on the radio.